Good morning, FCBC Walnut family and friends. Thank you for gathering with us in this online platform. This weekend is a Memorial Day weekend, one in which we remember and commemorate those who have fought and died for our country. It is a somber occasion. But it is also a weekend in which, through a three-day weekend, many of us start wrapping up the school year, start commencing in our celebrations related to it, and begin looking forward to the summer that lies ahead. While in this COVID-19 pandemic, nothing is the same as we have planned or expected. And so we need God during this season. We need His Word, and we need to pray. And we'll do both of those shortly. Before that, I want to highlight a few announcements from the Digital Bulletin. And while I'm doing this, I invite you, if you're watching on Facebook Premiere, to say hello and say good morning to one another to make comments and to react to each other's comments. Let's do this if we're all on at the same time so that we're able to encourage one another as long as it is called today. The first series of announcements relates to how you can be connected to our church family, even though we are right now the church scattered. I want to recommend that you consider the Wednesday night prayer meetings that happens for both the youth at 6.30 and the English congregation at 8.30. They're both wonderful occasions in which you get to catch up with each other, but also hear what God is doing in our midst. Not only that, we're able to pray for one another, we're able to bear each other's burdens, and we're able just to laugh and cry and share with each other. And this is one of the closest ways in which we can maintain and invest in one another relationally until we return. So I invite you to be a part of this in the middle of the week, to have it be something that anchors and directs your soul towards God. If you're looking to be a part of a group and to get to know a particular community of people, I invite you to email assimilation at fcbcwalnut.org where we can make some recommendations and connect you. I want to highlight one specific group that is meeting tonight, and that is the Women's Intergenerational Community Group. They are meeting tonight at 9 p.m. and they'll be studying biblical womanhood. If you're interested in this or just want to check them out, please go ahead and click the link to the virtual classroom in the digital bulletin and they'll see you there at 9 p.m. We want to celebrate our graduates this year and we'll do so on a given Sunday in the month of June online. So if you have a graduate in your home or if you yourself are a graduate and you are a regular attendee of FCBC Walnut, please email us at nancy at fcbcwalnut.org so that we're able to make sure that our roster of graduates is complete. Please pray for our reopening task force that is continuing to meet. Pray for wisdom and discernment, especially with all the changes and updates that are happening around us seemingly every single day. Even this weekend in particular, so much has happened and there's so much ahead of us that we don't know, but yet God has given this church, this stewardship, and given this task force, the baton, to lead us in a direction that is honoring to him, that is wise, that is safe, and that is ultimately a blessing to the church and to the community. So please pray for them. Finally, we are looking forward to the Red Cross Blood Drive that's happening on our campus this Wednesday from 1 to 7. It's not too late for you guys to sign up if you're healthy and willing to give. Come join us back on campus to do something 
that is worthwhile and a blessing to others. In the meantime, our relief team is still operating and working hard. So if you need supplies or if you need volunteers to support your home and your household, or if you want to give, please go ahead and email relief at fcbcwalnut.org. There are many more announcements in the digital bulletin. I encourage you to read through them and to be able to see with greater clarity what God is doing in our midst. Meanwhile, before Pastor Albert preaches, let me go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this morning and the privilege of coming before you to sing songs, Lord, to pray, and to also to receive the preaching of your word in the book of Ezra. Father, I want to pray, Lord, that you would speak through Pastor Albert, Lord, to continually lead us into your word and to give us an insight, God, of how you work amongst your people as you prepare them for return from exile. And allow that, Lord, to help us make applications and to give us wisdom and how we can do the same to become the church gathered again in your perfect timing. Heavenly Father, I want to pray, Lord, for our country during this weekend in which we are celebrating Memorial Day. We pray, Lord, for our leaders and for our president and for our governors and for all those that make laws and all those that lead and guide us. God, through this COVID-19 pandemic, we pray, Lord, that you continue to give them wisdom, that you continue to give them a peacemaking spirit, that you help them to communicate, and Lord, that you would help us, Father, to support them in their decisions and obey our authorities. God, we also pray, Lord, that you would be with our reopening task force. God, that you would use this team to lead our church, that you would provide them, Father, with unity that is supernatural, anchored in your promises. We also pray, Father, for great communication among the members that connects then into our congregations and into our needs and into our priorities in this church. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help them to lead us one step at a time and communicate to us what we need to do and how we can do it well, Father, so that we would return to 1555 Fairway in a way that is honoring to you and that also brings much joy to us. Finally, I want to pray, Father, for our community. God, that you would give us more insight and a greater burden to be able to reach them. Father, we pray, Lord, for our local schools that are graduating seniors. God, we pray, Lord, that you would allow them to celebrate them well, even as we have that desire to do so in our church also. And Father, we want to pray, Lord, that you would be with all those during this time, this difficult time. Lord, those who are sick, those who have lost loved ones, those who are working in the front lines, especially in the medical field and other essential areas. God, I pray that you be with them, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring strength, Lord, that you would bring encouragement, and Lord, that you would lift them up, especially if their faces are down. God, that you would strengthen, and Lord, that you would point people to you as the foundation to build their lives on. And we pray, Lord, for us to have the opportunity, whether personally or corporately, to share the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, so that we could point people, Lord, to Christ as Savior and Lord, especially during the storms of this pandemic. Be with us now, God. Soften our hearts, open our ears to receive the preaching of your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.
Good morning, church. Preaching through and reading through the names in Ezra 2 is always challenging. That's why many people, when they come to chapter 2 of Ezra, they will skip chapter 2 and jump right into chapter 3 because there are 125 names in uh, chapter 2 of Ezra. How do you preach from a name list? You know, it will really help us to know who they are by understanding their life stories. So before we read their names, let me remind you that these are those who emerged from the new normal, whose hearts were stirred by the sovereign God to return to Jerusalem to, to rebuild the temple. And many of them had planted their roots in Babylonia after 70 years of captivity. But not, now God called them to return in order to rebuild the temple and for the glory of God. And they, they said yes to that. See, saying yes to God involves surrendering your life, realigning your priority, and reset the direction of your life. Saying what Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, is easier said than done. To return to Jerusalem to them, it means to uproot all that they have invested, to upset the new normal that they have settled in for 70 years, walk 900 miles with thousands of people, which takes about three to four months to complete, and just to start their lives all over again in a place of desolation and ruin. And that's Jerusalem. It was destroyed. It was not a pleasant place. Now that is not very inviting. Would you do that and return with them? See, once we understand who they are, it gives meaning to the names that we will read to you because they are total strangers to us. But that's who they are. They are individuals and families and clans from uh, different places and different towns and villages. They matter to God enough that God put their names in the Bible. You know, in the age of artificial intelligence and facial recognition and big data, where individual identity is really pushed to the side and marginalized. God says to the returnees, I remember you, you matter to me. I want to remind you that in the book of Nehemiah chapter 7, there's an almost identical list with some minor uh, variations. But today we will focus on Ezra chapter 2. They are those who emerge from the new normal. Now, let me introduce you to each one of them. Come and shake hands with them and say hi to each other. Let's get acquainted. Number one, come and meet the leaders in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now, these were the people of the province who came out, out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Jerubbabel and Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpah, Bigvi, Rahum, and Benaiah. The province is Judah. The returnees bring a spirit of hope and new beginning. You discover 11 names in the leadership. But actually, if you include Sheshbazar, in chapter 1 we mentioned Sheshbazar. He's the uncle of Jerubbabel and he has a royal blood as well, they will be all together 12. Okay? Uh, Sheshbazar was entrusted the task to bring back the temple vessels. But he kind of disappeared and phased out quickly from the scene. 
and Zerubbabel kind of take over the leadership baton from Sheshbazzar. So if you include all these 12 names, they really represent the 12 tribes of Israel, or the whole nation is being represented from the group of returnees. And even though the returnees are mainly from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, that's from the southern kingdom, but over the years, people from the north, from the ten tribes, have moved to the southern kingdom. And therefore, the people who are returning, they have 12 tribes being represented in there. See, even in James chapter 1, verse 1 in the New Testament, when James said, I'm writing to the 12 tribes who scattered among the nations, they are all accounted for, even in New Testament time, the 12 tribes. So we can see that the 12 tribes are represented in there. Now, Jerubbabel, as we mentioned before, he's a grandson of King Jehoiachin. In First Chronicle chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, you can find a source from there. Who is Jeshua? Jeshua is the high priest. In the book of Haggai and Zechariah, he is called Joshua. That's the same person. And then from the list of the 12 leaders, another name is familiar, Nehemiah. But this Nehemiah is not the cupbearer who will lead the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem 100 years later. He only appears 100 years later. So definitely a different Nehemiah here. And there's another name called Mordecai. It sounds familiar. But he's not Queen Esther's cousin Mordecai. He will only appear 60 years later when God used him to stop the evil scheme of Hanum, Haman, uh, he tried to slaughter all the Jews in Persia. God stopped him by using that Mordecai. But this is another Mordecai. You see, God used these godly leaders to mobilize the first wave of the Israelite returnees to rebuild the temple. Leadership is crucial to the returnees and leadership is crucial to the church of Jesus Christ. You see, the church rises and falls with leadership. See, leaders walk in front of people and by their example, they inspired others to achieve God-ordained purposes, God-ordained vision for the glory of God. And thank God that in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic, we have a group of unified and godly leaders to guide our church and how to offer online ministries for our church. And as we prepare to come back to normalcy to reopen the church. We thank God for the godly leadership who will guide us through this process to make sure that we are legal and safe, to make sure it's sustainable, to make sure it brings glory to God. The second group, let me introduce to you to the people of Israel. As we prepare to meet them, I, I want to share with you why ancestries, why genealogy is so important to the Jewish returnees to the Israelite returnees. It is important because it established a link with the pre-exilic nation before they were kept, captured into, uh, in exile, in Babylonian exile. They are linked with that group. That they are indeed the people of God if you establish the genealogy. And they are returning and continuing to carry on God's plan for Israel which is to be the light of the nations, and they will be the covenant people of God. That's how essential it is to make sure the genealogies are being established. 
And it is also important to establish their ancestry because they have to prove that they are God's covenant people. And once proved, and thereby, they can enter into the rights and privileges as God's chosen people. All the promises of God will come upon them when they obey God and do God's will. That's how essential and important it is. It is also important to establish the ancestry to reclaim their family property to the returnees. The return, they can claim the houses, the properties of their ancestors before they were exiled into Babylon and say, I can still live here because this is from my ancestry. And of course, for the priests and the Levites, once they establish their ancestry, they can serve in the temple because they have to come from the tribe of Levi and they have to come from the household of Aaron to serve as a priest. And, and those are important things that we need to remember as we look at the names and the ancestry to understand why it is so uh, important to do that. Now, for the people of Israel, as we read the name list, okay, some are listed by families and clans, others by the association of their hometowns. Okay, now let's read together. Uh, let me read to you the names uh, of these people from verses 3 to 35. It says, The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Era, the sons of Patath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, the sons of Elam, 1,254, the sons of Jetu, the sons of Jekai, the sons of Bani, the sons of Bebai, the sons of Asgad, the sons of Adonikam, the sons of Bigvai, the sons of Eden, the sons of Atta, namely Hezekiah, the sons of Bezai, the sons of Jorah, of Hashem, of Gibar, the sons of Bethlehem, the men of Netophah, the men of Anatoth, the sons of Asmaveth, the sons of Kiriath, Aram, Chephira, of Beeroth, the sons of Ramah and Geba, of Mikmas, of Bethel and Ai, the sons of Nebo, the sons of Mekbish, the sons of the other Elam, the sons of Harim, of Lord Hadid, Ono, the sons of Jericho, the sons of Seniah. You know, this is the biggest chunk of the group who returned together. 24,000 more. More than 24,000 people. You know, they have waited for 70 years. They have repented of their sins, ready to be who they are called to be to be the people of God who will keep God's covenant. In the same way as we prepare ourselves to come back to normalcy, our attitude will shape the church life. How do we return will shape the church life. How do we intend to live when we come back to normalcy will define who we are as a church because that is the biggest chunk of the people. Not the leadership alone, but the people coming back together that will define who we are. And what I want to invite you to come back, come back to God's plan for FCBC Walnut, that by 2025, we want to build a strong base of disciple makers. Discipleship defines who we are. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Discipleship draws us to Jesus. Discipleship deepens our faith with Jesus. Then we become a strong base. Secondly, we want to establish a new church plant. Our former church plant has become independent two years ago, and we established a vision, a plan, that by 2025, we hope to kickstart another church plant somewhere that the Lord will lead us. And thirdly, we want to have five mission partners, that the mission for the future is really for partnership as we share resources together. 
that we give what we have, and the local church in somewhere that we adopt will give what they have. And together we bless each other, and together we grow deep, we grow stronger, and together we glorify the Lord by working together. And these are the people of Israel. And the next group, I want to let you meet the priest. They are so important. The priest, as the priests are preparing themselves to return. Verses 36. The priest says, The son of Jediah, of the house of Jeshua, the sons of Emmer, 1,052, the sons of Pashul, 1,247, the sons of Haram, 1,017. It is a significant number of priests who have decided to return. 4,289. And they mainly came from four families. But actually, when King David established the priesthood, uh, he established 24 families from the household of Aaron. But only four families chose to return. But they form 10% of the returnees. And that's a very significant number. And their presence will be so essential to the worship of God, to the functioning of the temple that they are about to rebuild together. See, the priest's duties are for temple worship, so they want to revitalize the worship life of the returnees. That's the foundation. Revitalize the spiritual life, then the ministry will follow in a way that will please God. What can a priest do when they are in exile? There's no temple, uh, and the, the religious life there is very minimal. They can do fasting on a regular basis. They can pray to God, and they can keep the Sabbath. Like Daniel, Daniel faced Jerusalem three times a day and prayed to God. That's the most common expression of their spiritual life. But offering sacrifices in a temple, that's out of the questions because there's no temple there. The priests will feel so out of place in Babylonian exile. Now finally, by returning, they can feel useful as they rebuild the temple together and they rebuild the life of worship together. You know, today we are called to be royal priesthood, to represent God, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and to care for people, to pray before God on their behalf. That's a priest's duty. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are so familiar, that, that, that shows our identity in the New Testament time, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our identity, a royal priesthood. We continue to carry that on for the glory of God. The next group, verses 40 to 42, are the Levites. The Levites, the son of Jeshua, Cadmiel, and the sons of Hadoviah, the singers, the sons of Ashaph, the sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Adar, the sons of Taman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatida, and the sons of Shabai, in all 139. See, the Levites include the singers and also the sons of the gatekeepers. They are all Levites. And they have different duties. As the uh, Levites uh, come together, uh, their main job is to assist the priest in the temple worship. They also help in teaching the law of God. Uh, some are called to be singers, as we see here, and some are called to be gatekeepers. And Ezra himself actually discovered that when he invited 
the Levites to come back in the second wave of the returning. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 15, many turn it down. So the number is really small as compared to the, to the priest. Now, if you talk about supporting the priest and assisting the priest, you, know, you talk about 341 altogether to support 4,200 some priests there. You talk about one Levite supporting 12 priests. Now, if you take out the singers who have a special role, if you take out the gatekeepers who have a special function and not be able to support the priest, and only 74 of the Levites can support the priest, you talk about one supporting 58 priests. That's a very, very significant small numbers that is there. Then naturally we ask the question, why not more? It seems that there's, a, there's no big incentives for them to return, for the Levites to return to Jerusalem. People have different speculations, but we don't know exactly why that happened. But people, you know what? At least, at least there are 341 who did. They did return. There are plenty of works for them to support the, the, the temple worship and to support the priest. But often they have little recognition and status. Maybe that's why they are not returning. But there's 341 who returned. When they were in Babylonian exile, there was no temple to sing praises. There was no need to support the priest because there was no function uh, in the temple. There's no temple at all. But now by returning, they are able to be useful. They are able to bless the worship of God together by supporting the priest. The next group of people will be the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants. Uh, these are the people who are appointed by King David and King Solomon to assist the Levites in the manual work, many works in the temple. In verses 43 to 45. And uh, who are they? Maybe, uh, perhaps, some speculations that they are the descendants of the prisoners of war during King David's time. Or they are the descendants of the pagan enclaves that King Solomon pressed into slavery, and that's where they appear here. Let me, let me read to you the list from 43 to 58. The temple servants, the sons of Jehah, of Ashufah, of Tabath, the sons of Keros and Sarah and Padon, the sons of Lebana, the sons of Hagabah, of Akub, of Hagab, of Shamlai, of Hanan, of Gidol, of Gahar, of Raya, the sons of Rezin, of Nakoda, of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Hashiah, the sons of Beshai, of Asna, of Nanim, the sons of Nephishim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Hafu, the sons of Basluf, the sons of Mephitha, the sons of Hashar, the sons of Bakas and Sisera, Temah and Uzziah and Hatifa. And the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Hashophethrit, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Jala, the sons of Dakon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hitel, the sons of Keshareth, Hasbaim, and the sons of Ammon. All the servant temp temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. You know, a scholar, a New Testament scholar says that 50% of the names that we have just read to you, the, the temple servants and Solomon's servants, the sons of so Solomon's servants, they are of foreign origin, just judging by their foreign names. It is amazing. Now that the descendants of these pagan ancestors are listed among the, the covenant people of God as they 
come to restore the Holy Land. You know, it seems to be by chance only that they were kept, uh, captured during war times and they became slaves. But you know what? By becoming uh, temple servants and uh, by becoming uh, Solomon's servant in the temple, they have a chance to observe the gospel of atonement via the offering of sacrifices. They have a chance to hear the priestly instruction, maybe day in and day out. And somewhere along the line, they begin to take the truth and take hold to it so that these foreigners come to be numbered among God's people in the book of Ezra chapter 2. And that's amazing. That's truly by God's grace that they are incorporated into the group of the returnees. And finally, in verses 56 to 63, those who are disqualified, two groups of people are disqualified. Uh, let me read to you verses 59 to 63. The following were those who came out from Tel Mela, Tel Hasha, Shabub, Adan, and Immer. Though they could not prove their fathers' houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Topiah, and the sons of Nakoda, 652. Also of the sons of priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Hakots, the sons of Bazillai, who had taken a wife from the daughter of Bazillai of Giladite, and was called by that name. This sought that registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. Two groups are disqualified. One group, they could not trace their ancestry to the point to prove that they are genuinely Israelites. And the second group, disqualified as priests, again, they could not establish the genealogies. Now, not that they are not Israel, and not that they are not from a priesthood family, it's just that it is not certain. Maybe they lost their genealogy papers. They were not able to establish that. And therefore, they are disqualified. Until, he says, uh, someone will, will be able to help them to discern, or a priest will be able to consult Urim and Thummim. And Urim and Thummim are the two pieces of stones or maybe gem that is placed in the breastplate of the high priest garment. And, and when the high priest is in doubt, sometimes God instructed him to use that Urim and Thummim as a way to discern God's will. How was it done? How exactly, what exactly it, it, it was? We are not certain, but it is instructed in God's word about Urim and Thummim. You can see how seriously the returnees take their commitment to God. You can see how seriously they take holiness after 70 years of captivity in Babylonia. They understood that they were taken there because of their wickedness before God, their sinful before God, their idol worship. They were not following the law of the Lord. Now they learned a lesson. And therefore, as they begin to establish even the returnees and make sure that they are truly connected and continue from the pre-exilic times, they make sure that they are truly belonging to their ancestry, to the genealogies, of the Israelites. And since the priest are models and the center of worship life, and their holiness is so essential to be a godly example, 
to the nation Israel. And one way to show their holiness is to obey God's word and do it God's way. And therefore, they have to follow strictly that they have to be established as from the tribe of Levi, from the household of Aaron, before they can even serve. And they were even instructed not to eat the holy things, not to eat the most holy food. What is that most holy food? See, when they have the sacrifices, uh, offered the sacrifices in a temple, God says there are a portion that belongs to me. So they cut out a certain portion of the animal and set aside for God. And God says, this, I will give it to the Levites. And these are the most holy food. And without establishing their identity, they are not supposed to take the most holy food as if they are priests. They are functioning priests. They are not allowed right now until their identity is truly, is truly uh, being established in the whole process. You know, holiness really matters to the priesthood. Holiness is linked to the obedience of God's word. And, and the priest takes that holiness seriously. And the leaders who led them back to Jerusalem takes holiness seriously. Holiness is more important than livelihood. They'd rather have holiness than to have more priests to serve together in the temple. Now, let me bring summary to the whole chapter here in, by reading beginning verses 64 all the way to 70. 64 says, The whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they have 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736, the mules were 245, the camels were 435, and the donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem, to erect it on its site, that make free will offerings for the house of the Lord, to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 500 minus of silver, and 100 priest garments. Verse 70 says, Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their town. And finally, they all settled into their ancestry property to see the continuation and the connection with the people of God in pre-exilic time. It is connected because they are claiming, they are proclaiming that we are coming back to be who God wants us to be. We are coming back together. See, the total numbers of 42,360, but if you add up the individual's numbers being mentioned in the whole book by the names, by the family, by the villages, by the towns, the actual names that are mentioned and we, we total them together, it's about 30,000 people. So we have almost like 20,000 people missing. What happened? Well, there's a few possibilities. One, uh, maybe the women and the children are not mentioned. And, and secondly, maybe they, they did not mention the northern tribes. They only mentioned the tribes from Judah and Benjamin. And thirdly, maybe it is intended to be selective and not exhaustive. So the names are selected and not every name is included. And finally, as a less likely possibility is maybe as the transmission of the scriptures is passing down 
the copyist might have made a mistake, but that is not very likely because they take it very, very seriously as they copy different uh, books of the Bible to allow more people to be available uh, to them. It mentioned about 7,337 uh, servants. So it shows that some of the people or many of the returnees uh, were quite well-to-do. And look at the gifts. talks about 565 pounds of gold, if you convert that to the, to the measurement today, and about three tons of silver. That's a lot of money and offering. But the most important thing is they finally settle down. They are connected. They are connected with the past. The actors have assembled. The stage is prepared. And the drama of rebuilding the temple is about to begin. You see, God is faithful. He keeps His covenant even though for 70 years they were taken into captivity. But God stirred in their heart to bring them back to the Holy Land to rebuild the temple. The second temple was completed in 515 BC. It lasts for almost 600 years until Jesus' time when King Herod the Great lavishly renovated the temple for 40-some years as a way to please the Jews. But in 70 AD, that temple that was rebuilt by the returnees was finally destroyed again by the Roman general Titus. See, the temple doesn't stand forever. The sacrifices and worship in the temple, they don't last. But Jesus is a better temple. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the eternal God. Through His redemption, by offering Himself as a sacrifice on the cross, Jesus has torn down the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the people. And today we can come to God through Jesus Christ. We can pray to God in the name of Jesus. Our sins can be forgiven by coming to God and asking for His forgiveness. Jesus is the better temple. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Now today I want to share my heart to you as we prepare our church for returning because the book of Ezra is talking about returning and to rebuild. We are going to return someday as we prepare and plan for it to rebuild, to come back together, to worship together in person. I want to remind you, as we come back together from the new normal that was established for nine weeks or ten weeks now, that almost become a normal. We learn to live uh, in, in, in shelter in place. We learn to work from home. We learn to do grocery shopping. Uh, we learn to keep social distancing and put on a mask and things like that. That now become a new normal. Now we are coming, emerge from that new normal, like the Israelites coming back to church life as we plan towards that direction. Don't create another new normal. Don't emerge from that new normal and coming back to church life, almost like the church life is another new normal. Coming back to church life is a normal thing, but don't make it into another new normal. What do you mean by that? See, a new normal is whatever state, 
that you settle in without prioritizing, prioritizing, prioritizing God. We as God worshippers, we as followers of Jesus Christ, when we come back to our normal sea, we are coming back to be disciple of Jesus Christ. But if you're only coming back just to go through the routines, just to see each other, just to be happy that we are in person and, and we are safe now and we are, we're going to come back together, you are creating another new normal. Don't do that. Come back to God, what God intends for us to be. I want to invite you to come back to unity. Come back to unity. Come back to purity. Come back to ongoing revival. That God, Christ, transcends culture and language and politics. It is so divisive and so polarizing as we are coming into the election year of the president. Our three congregations with different cultures and languages oftentimes will test the unity of the church. But I want to ask you to, to come back to the normal sea. The normal sea for us is unity because Christ unites us. The gospel unites us. Secondly, come back to purity to be aligned with pleasing the Lord. Like Eric Little, that famous missionary, the Scottish missionary who went to China and died in China, says, when I run, he was a very fast runner. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I become a disciple of Jesus Christ, I feel God's pleasure. When I do God's will, I feel his pleasure. Where he says, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. I'm pleased with you. That's purity. To be aligned with God. Come back in unity, come back in purity, and come back in ongoing revival. An ongoing revival can only be sustained by spiritual discipline, spiritual disciplines of worship, of prayer, of devotion, and God's word, of doing God's will, and also sustained by the Christian community. If you settle into a godly and biblical state, you are revived. But if you settle into a fleshly and worldly-driven lifestyle, then you are backsliding. Experience ongoing revival as we come back together. And thank God our church is a resourceful church. We work hard, we save hard, and over time we tend to accumulate, and we are able to share, and we are able to give. Thank God for that. As we come back together, do not create another new normal. But secondly, I want to remind you as we come back together, we need to continue with our commitment to God. Just like the returnees, when they return to Jerusalem, they are connected with their ancestors. They are connected with a pre-exilic group. And as we return, we return to whom God calls us to be as a church of Jesus Christ in 1555 Fairway Drive here. Are you ready to return? Return just to feel good, to reconnect, to see familiar faces, or return to be people of God, return to be disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to encourage you, for some of you, this is a time where the nomination committee begin to invite you to be an officer. I want to invite you to say yes. This is a great time to be an officer, to be Sunday school teachers, to be counselors. This is a great time uh, to be a deacon, to be a pastor of the church, because this is the time where people are most teachable, most responsive, and most attentive 
because we are facing a crisis. And people are so much more willing to listen, so much more willing to obey God. So come together and say yes to the nomination. Come back to continue and cherish the life, worship, small groups, and Sunday school that you, have, that you might have taken for granted for many years. Oh, it's always there. I'll join someday. That privilege, as this COVID-19 pandemic shows, this privilege can be taken away in a split of a moment. And you experienced that in the past three months. Don't go back to that. And don't create another new normal like before. Take things for granted. But take God seriously and take His church seriously. Take church life seriously. Come back to renew your commitment to be an active member of FCBC Walnut. To love passionately, to live authentically, to give generously, and to go courageously. That's the indicators of a vibrant church that we are establishing together. Come back to walk with God closely. Grow up to be able to take solid food, not just milk. Milk is not enough to sustain you. You need to start walking on your own. For many years you have depending on the pastors or Sunday school teachers, small group leaders to help you. Now you need to stand up on your own to be strong and to be able to withstand challenges and trials of life. Come back to cherish church life because you need them and they need you. And you remember how miserable it is we're still in the midst of that when we are alone, when we are isolated, when we are quarantined. How miserable that feeling is. If it is not by God's grace and by prayer and by worship, it's so difficult to sustain. Now when we come back and prepare ourselves for reopening the church, come back and cherish the church life because you need them. And they need you as well because we are a community. We grow better in a community. Come back. Come back with a renewed understanding of yourself that your perseverance is not as strong as you think, that your discipline is not as tough as your thoughts, that you don't handle loneliness that well, that you can feel depressed quite easily, that when you are in isolation, flashbacks of unresolved issues and regrets in life uh, can be happening and you become grumpier. Talk about that in your small groups and grow together. Get to know yourself better. And for those who are experiencing tension in a family, with the increased responsibilities nowadays, with each one of you wearing more hats at the same time as husband and father and employees, maybe, and the wife maybe a wife and a mother and an employee, plus tutoring and cleaning and cooking and driving and uh, maintenance workers, kind of a role, all put together now. The line is blurred. And the lines intersect. In the past, when you go to work, it's very clear. You are a worker, you are an employee. But now, all these roles are put together in the same place at the same time upon you. And oftentimes, the line is not clear. And that's why we have so much tension. That we expect you to play this role and that role and this role because you just happen to be there. We don't know where is the line. And therefore, tensions built, sparks fly, voice raised, anger explodes, sour mood, 
with increased frequency. Now that we know we are not as strong as we thought as a couple, as a family, we need to learn how to communicate. We need to learn how to pray together. We need to learn how to forgive each other. And we need to learn how to grow a strong family where Christ, God, is the head of my household. That's how it will be like as we come back together. And that's the kind of coming back that I want to invite you to embark on together. Come back to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a man and woman of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, we want to thank you even for Ezra chapter 2 with so many names, 125. As we've gone through them, we learn significant lessons from them because they are those who emerged from their new normal and willing to come back to a ruined and desolated Jerusalem and rebuild their life to rebuild the temple and to rebuild worship. Father, I pray that as we prepare to return, we will also prepare ourselves to come back, to come back to do your will, to come back to be your disciple. Not that we stop, but we want to renew that commitment to come back to do God's will together and to follow you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we'll be able to truly honor you and the lessons we learned through these few months will carry us forward to be stronger as we serve you together as people of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.